Uh, welcome to Hindsight of Dilemma special Thanksgiving episode. And to the listeners who aren't watching, there's a beautiful video, which I'll put on YouTube, of my lovely mother, Sally Shapiro. Say hi to all, all of my fans. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Okay. So I have okay. no plan for this. I, just, I know. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in, in your uh, home in Florida for Thanksgiving, and I thought this was a, it's a time of family. It's Thanksgiving, and we'll just talk and see what happens. My plan, general plan, is to talk about morality that's the whole sort of like moral philosophy of this this whole show and i guess i have questions about that i'll pose you'll be my guest and i'll interview you i guess about my moral upbringing and maybe i don't know your view and choices on morality growing up okay so i'll do my best how was how moral was i as a child (laughs) um does that that work (laughs) You know, you weren't perfect. You had some issues. All right, we're cutting. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, you were basically a good kid, but you were um, uh, not always easy. You know, you tested tested us, of course. Mm-hmm. That's normal, I think. But Let, let's start. Let's start with this one of like the challenges generally. How about, how about this? Like this whole show is like silly about philosophy. We talk a bit about fancy words like deontology and consequentialism and utilitarianism and virtue ethics and stuff and, and I, don't, I, I don't know what a single thing exactly means that you just said so like <laughs> can you tell me like maybe what uh the challenges of raising a child i am not a parent and you have me and my older brother and had to go through this whole thing of raising a human in this confusing world that's changing so rapidly like as i don't know what what's the view of sort of instilling or how would what framework would you even use of like giving morality or, or, yeah. or raising a moral child <laughs> you know I, I think because dad and I came from very basically let's say normal stable families mm-hmm. uh, where I think we just basically came into the marriage with pretty good values I think and similar values like I think we just figured we would model good parenting and good behavior. I don't really think we ever had discussions about Mm. it so much or even thought about it so much. It was just like you have kids, you raise them in the way I think that you think is right based on, you know, where you come from and I honestly, I, I don't remember a conversation we ever had about it. And you know, of course, like we, although neither of us were religious, I think that we thought that if we sent you to Sunday school and Hebrew school, Hebrew school yeah. and gave you that basic background there, that that we were doing our job. Yeah, and as I, parents, I pushed back against that. Yes. I think pretty early. You pushed back, not until, truthfully, after around your bar mitzvah years you know mm-hmm. around 13 that's when you started pushing and then i i had to bribe you <laughs> with different things <laughs> Thank you for to, admitting that. to keep you going to to uh sunday school and, and and actually you were you were i guess confirmed at 15 or 16 and then you got to pick out a beautiful um was it a ukulele it a or mandolin. a mandolin gorgeous mandolin, mandolin yeah. as your um as your reward (laughs) for staying with it. But um, I really think that we thought we were doing the right thing to give you that background. Um, Even though, honestly, you know, maybe dad was a little more 
religious than I was or a little more had a little more belief than I do but I think um, you know we both valued the the um, we both we both wanted you to have the values that are in 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 Judaism Mm because I think we both thought that they were good values for you guys to have so um, so I think that was as far as we went with thinking Mm -hmm. about moral upbringing I mean did you find that like if your child I'm sure I'd would come home from school or you would hear something from school that I had done something that, or you would see me play on a playground or something and maybe have like a bit of a, a wrong action. Like, did you, you, did you think about how to talk to me about it or intervene or correct behavior? It didn't happen that often. I don't know if you remember one incident. I got a call from somebody where you, um, called a, a kid whose last name was Waxman. Oh, gosh, on, the, on a bus, you called him Wax Woman. Mm. Do you remember that? No, I don't. And, I think uh, it's Zach. I don't remember. No, his no, name. he lived right up the street, How around the corner. Here? So you were in elementary you're about, you're school. You're going to get me canceled in the age of social media. <laughs> yeah. now, go on. Well, you were only in elementary school, but yeah. the kid was a kid that got picked on. Oh, man. Todd. Todd Waxman. I'm sorry, Todd. If he's out there, I'm sorry, Todd. And so his mother called me, and she was really upset. Oh, my God. And I remember thinking that it wasn't the worst thing in the world. Mm. But the fact that this kid was upset, the mother was upset, I had to address it with you. Yeah. And really, honestly, I don't remember a whole lot of other issues that you had where where I was aware that you were acting... Uh, unkindly or, or immoral, you know, uh, you were really a nice child. But so, so <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, sitting me down, calling some kid wax woman. I mean, I, it's actually a complica- complicated it's, issue. Probably now would be much more complicated <laughs> to talk about it. But I guess you just, it w- was it sort of like the golden rule or like these are the things parents usually tell to kids of, because it seems understandable, treat yeah. others. Would you like to be called that? Yeah, That's the no, kind I of, think we talked more about the fact that this you know, this kid was upset, uh, and did you want to be upset? Yeah, and, yeah, hurt his feelings. Exactly, that yeah. was how we talked about it. Um, I'm trying to think if there were other. Before before we go on in my in my <laughs> illustrious <laughs> childhood, um, can I ask your religiosity? Actually, so growing up, like from my view, was American Judaism. I grew up in like a how we, like a typical suburban American Jewish upbringing, which is very like non-ideological in my view. The religious claims and faith claims, there wasn't a lot of God talk in our house at all. I would get some of it in Hebrew high and then there was this bar mitzvah stuff, which honestly in some ways from my view was like confusing because it's like, well, what's the point of all this? Like, what are we doing if this isn't about like you, I think, I don't, I don't remember you using the word atheist, but it was pretty clear to me as soon as I could ask questions that you didn't believe any of this garbage of the religious stuff but the community was important to you or something. It was yeah. a very like amorphous thing. But can you talk about your specific like atheism and when you have a story about like maybe when that started much before mm. I was born, I think. Like, yeah, I think I was 15 or 16. Well, you know, I grew up in a very, very Jewish community in yeah. Pittsburgh, Squirrel Hill, where the Tree of Life shooting was just a couple blocks from there. Yeah, It was really a beautiful place to grow up. And, um, and really Judaism, our whole lives revolved around Judaism really not that we were religious that much either but it was like you know you went from holiday to holiday and I went to Sunday school and all that and you know my grandparents were religious one side anyway um 
and and so I didn't question very much about God when I was growing up. But I remember one time as a I was around 15 or 16, I was reading a book called I Cannot Forgive, written by a Holocaust survivor. Mm. I don't even know really for sure if it was uh, a memoir or what it was. But um, he, in the book, he described a horrible uh, scene with a Nazi, Nazi swinging a, um, a, a, an infant into a tree. And I don't know, it was just horrible. And as I read it, as the baby's skull was getting smashed into the tree so was my belief in God I just actually felt it shatter I thought if there's a God well first of all I thought there can't be a God but then I thought if there's a God I really don't want to have anything to do with that God and it just shattered and so I never really believed in God after that Um, it just shattered and you know um, how old were you then? I was around 15 or 16 but then my mother told me a story uh, when she was actually probably almost 80 of going to a funeral for a nephew a very very loved nephew a little Mm -hmm. boy that died when he was three before I was born he died of a stomach cancer and she said while she was at the funeral the rabbi was talking about how God needed an angel and she felt her belief in God leave so I think um, it's a family tradition. <laughs> also, um, so I even, but yet I always still, you know, I was I was raised so in such a a, a beautiful Jewish environment. I really feel like um, it was like I loved my upbringing, and um, and I value mm-hmm. uh, Jew that whole Jewish culture. I, I love the the traditions, and and I find comfort in some of them. Yeah. Um, you know, like when dad died, I did find some comfort in following the Jewish morning yeah. rituals and everything. So that, so it's confusing probably to raise a child in yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it was confusing from my point of view to yeah. try to align the like, because yeah. I was. I'm not sure how you'd explain it. Well, I would sit, I would sit in, we were the, what do you call the high holiday Jews? Like the, like you just go for Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. Like, That's what you did. I went to all of them. You went to all of them. All of them. So you. Simchas Torah, Shavuot, all of them. So, you, so for, for me and my brother, it was more of just the high holidays. Yeah. So it was like five times a year we would sit there. Yeah. But I would sit. And I would we'd be reading prayers and stuff in Hebrew, which I could I could pronounce, I could like make the sounds. But well, you I did a beautiful job at your bar mitzvah. Well, if anyone you. ever wants we to see cut that, in, yeah, uh, <laughs> a quick like version of my very high voice. <laughs> no, you did. A, you were great, yeah, well, actually. I could, but I have no idea what it means. I could read the sounds. This okay. is like common in a lot of things. Yeah. And I would sit there and read the English translation on the other side, because mm-hmm. on one page is the Hebrew, on the other side mm-hmm. is the English translation. And I would be like, "This is madness. This stuff is like." we believe any of this stuff like this is crazy and maybe it was just angsty of like what like what the hell like we're singing these prayers that are actually kind of crazy very like patriarchal all the awful things that happen in religion but sacrificing sacrificing animals story well well he was gonna and luckily angel grabbed his arm whatever um but for yeah as a kid like that was sort of confusing i remember now going back, I guess, into my, my childhood, moving on, like as a teenager, buying a lot of like little Buddha statues and stuff. Yeah, Maybe you even did, a actually. book on Buddhism and stuff. I was getting interested in, I've always been fascinated in these questions of like bigger belief because I guess your story of the of the Nazi and then your and then my grandmother, your mom at this child's funeral and stuff philosophically now is the problem of evil, which is not a new problem and trying to align that with God. And now that I'm deep into sort of the moral philosophy conversations, I can like 
assign sort of a veneer around that of like here's here's the deep philosophical problem with that um or how to talk about it. i don't know I, yeah i mean i think as a kid how that gets expressed without any of the philosophical framework is just confusion which i think is actually a problem and this isn't like a criticism of you not having that language but whether it helps to sit a kid down who is having these kind of questions and talk about Leibniz and the problem of evil and the best of all possible worlds. And in some ways, I remember we were just talking about this here. Uh, my, my girlfriend who's watching over there was, is reading a Kurt Vonnegut book. <laughs> and I always, I always, uh, I took Kurt Vonnegut books off of your shelf as a teenager too, while asking a lot of these questions. And that was my, I think that was the first time I realized I wasn't alone noticing the absurdity of the situation because Kurt is such a wonderful yeah. satire writer of yeah. the absurd and then but that feeling of I'm not the only one asking these questions out there uh, was like planted very firmly as a teenager it's just taken a long time to get sort of a uh, an invite into the philosophical party that everyone's like just as confused as I was as a as a teenager you're, you're, the the Nazi story. There's a famous story from the Holocaust of you know, I think it was Auschwitz. Whether it's true or not, in one of the gas chambers they found scrawled on the wall, um, "If there's a God, he'll have to beg for my forgiveness." Something like that. Yeah, it's I basically think I what did you're expressing. Hear that? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Being raised in that post-Holocaust Jewish tradition is confusing. Mm -hmm. I, I suppose. Um, Anyway, let, let's let's move on further. Then this is we we don't have to get too contentious about Israel, which is a topic that you and I, as a teenager, used to argue a yes. lot about. Teenager into adulthood. Into yeah. adulthood, although I think it's we're finding common ground through the like at least the frameworks or noticing each of our biases there. But as a teenager, this now sort of relates to the last episode. If you were hoping for a hindsight of the Kevin Carter episode, maybe it'll get in here a little bit. Uh, I ended up going to West Africa instead of Israel, which was, I always point, you know, my parents are both wonderful parents and did a great job, but one of maybe your shining moments was encouraging me and helping me find that trip and letting Thank me you. go there. Yeah, credit to you, because yeah. it was a huge moment in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if, I don't know if you want to talk about your memories of that. That's fine. There's a lawnmower we're in Florida. Someone's yeah. doing the hedges. It's fine. Yeah. Let them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they're disturbing my peace. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a moral dilemma there. Go on. <laughs> uh, okay. So wait, what like was your, the question? Your memories of my maybe angst or not wanting to go to Israel then? Because yeah. I maybe I wasn't ready or I was too angry and you didn't know. Yeah, that was sort of shocking it. to me that hmm. you didn't want to go because um, when I was growing up, I always couldn't wait to go. I mean, I was growing up when it was like Israel, the land of milk and honey. And, yeah. you know, I, I was born in 51. Israel came into being in 48. So like, it was new, you know, I was growing up. And, it, and when I went to Sunday school and Hebrew school, we, we always uh, would study about Israel. And it just had this, you know, I had this image, I just, you know, wanted to go there really badly. And, um, and I got there when I was 21 for 10 day for 10 weeks you know and um and i and it was a defining moment in my life i loved israel i love israel um it's not anything i could remove from myself mm -hmm. um you want you once sort of text to me like it would be like not supporting it would feel like an amputation yes yeah, yes such a yes strong word yeah yeah and so um when uh your brother dan was growing up you know, he always just assumed he would go to Israel, and he did when he was, 
I was about 15 or 16 with um, a Jewish youth group. And at the time, it was before birthright. Mm-hmm. But uh, you would put money aside and uh, the Jewish federations would match it. So um, we had saved for it. And um, uh, when it came time to talk to you about going, you were like, I don't want to go. It was, it was really shocking, really. Um, and you were very insistent. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of thought you weren't gonna, um, that you weren't really serious, but you you stuck to it. And so I um, I finally thought, well, you know, we can't force them to go to Israel. <laughs> but I wanted you to have um, that same kind of um, experience that as a teenager of experiencing, you know, a different culture, being traveling in de- somewhat independently away from your parents anyway. And, um, and I, so I wanted it to be a worthwhile trip, and you did too. And um, I was a high school guidance counselor, and I had all these resources, and including a shelf of like summer yeah. opportunities. So I found this uh, Experiments in International Living program, and um, it looked perfect for you, knowing what you were like already, <laughs> that you did want something with some meat to it, some mm-hmm. meaning. And so um, I remember you went through the whole, all the different options, and you picked that you either wanted to go to Thailand or Uganda. Ghana. No, it was Ghana. West yeah. Africa. Later it was Uganda. <laughs> Ghana. And, um, and you would you would have been happy with either. You were, I could do either. So then it looked, so to go to Thailand, you have to fly out of Los Angeles and go to Ghana, you flew out of New York or yeah. Newark, I don't remember. And dad said, well, I want to be able to put him on the plane. Yeah. So he's going to yeah. Ghana. We were in so, Pennsylvania, so it was just an hour and a half drive, yeah. Yeah, so it's really dad's, because yeah. uh, of dad that you went to Ghana, because mm-hmm. I would have been fine with you going to Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, um, I'm glad you did eventually get to Israel. Yeah, and I remember when you times. got there, the first time you said to me you could, that it, you thought it was beautiful and you could see why people fight over that yeah. land. I always say there's, it's no coincidence that people always think God told them to live there and not, you know, Minnesota. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> yeah. whispered in their ear this beautiful yeah. piece of real estate on the Mediterranean, like this is where God told me to live. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an obviously incredible yeah. place. But that first trip to Africa, uh, I don't know, set me down a, a path. It was yeah. a pivotal moment in my life and also moral life and moral understanding of things because I, I knew nothing about Africa before I went other than what I saw. On yeah, and TV. I just came back from Africa for the first time. And the whole time I was there, I kept thinking, why does Jay, uh, what is Jay's fascination with this? She just went on a safari in Tanzania. So yeah. with incredible photos. My mom's a, a hell of a photographer oh, too. Thank you. So when you got to Israel, I got to Africa. <laughs> yes, sort of. <laughs> we did it eventually. <laughs> but the, so, but so, uh, I, so I had, I think it was a five or six week trip in Africa part I think home. a little longer maybe almost seven maybe I don't know. Well, at least six it at was like part six. education part homestay with like 10 other high school students from all over yeah. America I, I think you built home. a um, help build a school community service it was a whole yeah, thing and then a little service. fun zip lining out you do all that stuff too but um, that for me has been a pivotal pivotal I always credit it to like why I'm a filmmaker now it just like planted an itch that I had to scratch where I realized my when you talk about like your religious view being shattered like that was a moment where my um a lot of things were shattered in my upbringing of 
the bubble I was in in very safe Allentown, Pennsylvania was shattered in a way where I was suddenly just confused about everything and also realizing that I knew like nothing about the world and also a, f- a, a hunch and a feeling that the moral philosophy, whether there was any that I was getting in my, in my upbringing in Pennsylvania and, and Judaism um, did not at all map upon reality, gave me no tools in order to conquer or think about how to approach something like the kind of poverty I saw for the first time there. Yeah. The kind of confusing legacy of slavery, the legacy of colonialism, being a white person there. It was the first time I ever felt like mm-hmm. a minority. All of these things, I felt so ill-equipped for it that I remember my thinking of coming back from that trip in that summer as a teenager um, and all of my friends had gone to Israel. Right. And all of the like the the moms and parents <laughs> of the kids would come around and they all sort of knew what the Israel thing was like because they all had other sons and daughters who had done it. And then there was me who did the Africa thing. <laughs> yeah. And I that had was like, unique. I don't know. Yeah. And there, but there was like a table of like stuff I brought back, like drums and cloth and stuff. And I remember just the question of, you know, like the obvious question of like, how was it? What was it like? And being just so confused and paralyzed yeah. about how do I even begin answering that? It's, that I ended it's up going back still and so hard film. to talk about it's very Africa. Hard. And, and to, to make it semi-political, we grew up in a very progressive liberal uh, environment as well, noticing a lot of the simple morality stories that come out of sort of a liberalism and a progressivism that also um, seem to uh, fall apart in the face of a lot of things I saw in Africa where I had a lot, it, it just started a lot of questions. I always, I always credit, I'll tell the, a quick story of it, but I always, there was this moment of all of these questions that I was asking in my head of seeing this kind of poverty and ending up in this little village. It was the village where we were building a school, walking to the school in the morning and looking out over this beautiful idyllic village with like a stream running through it, maybe like 200, 250 people in this whole thing. And this old woman in this river in the morning, the fog is lifting and she's like washing shirts by hand in the river. And I've told you this before, but I remember staring at this image and it's gorgeous. And maybe if you had told me about that image a month earlier, I would have painted some romantic picture about how beautiful and close to the earth it was and natural. And look, they don't have all of my fancy beeps and bloops and like this comforts. But all I could think of is that woman wants a damn washing machine. And if she had a damn washing machine, she might not be in that river getting malaria right now. And she could use those three hours mm. of the day to, you know. But did she know there is such a thing as a washing machine? Now they do. They now all they have do. iPhones and yes. they all have. And they're seeing it. Yeah. It's really interesting. When you were there, I maybe don't know. Not. She probably well, didn't. Maybe not, which was even more yeah. sort of like tension yeah. to lay upon my like teenage self. But I remember, I remember even that moment and that realization um, you know, you you could take that thought and run with it and become some sort of like capitalist champion quickly and, and conservative and like love free markets in some way. But it may have been the first time that I realized that there was a um, argument to be made for sort of the the excesses of capitalism or the frameworks of it that I was kind of only getting kind of a yeah. A, 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 a caricaturized view of that, no fault of your own, but in my sort of liberal bubble growing up, and then I went to a, a college that yeah. continued that liberal bubble. Um, but I remember just that that confusion and not knowing how to align that truth with with 
you know, the oughts and the ises that come up in moral philosophy started my career of realizing the world is a much more complicated place than some sort of simple story that, that I was getting. So I don't know. And if I had gone to Israel, I don't know exactly what would have happened. I, f I feared, I'll tell you, my fear was that I was going to get a simple story that was yeah. not as complicated you as it should You would have only gotten the Israel, the Jewish side of the Israel Which story. Is too simple, maybe. Well, it's a lovely... It's a lovely story. <laughs> it is a, it's a lovely, lovely story, story. But there's harms to it yeah. that, that, may, yeah. that may have bothered well, me a bit. Boy, this, they're getting closer with the, they're getting closer with, with the, the with the uh, trimming. I think we'll be fine. Okay. I um, the, um, it's like a leaf blower or something. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, with it, with Africa. I mean, I don't think most people could conceive of it until you see it. Yeah. But it's, but to know. finish that story, I remember coming back. So I stayed with a family in a town called Kumasi, which is in the middle of uh, Ghana. Beautiful, amazing town. I stayed with a family that was actually somewhat well off. Yeah, was wasn't he like the king or well, something? Every, or like descent? Everyone's a chief Everyone. in, okay, in yeah, Africa. Yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah. was, he was a cousin of a cousin of a chief. Okay. But he had a little money. And the kind of the fun thing about that trip, it was totally random. Some kids were yeah. staying in really different areas. This is for like a week of the trip. Uh, but I befriended this kid who was really nice. His name was Alex, who was sort of my companion. He's about my age mate and living this very different life from me. And I remember being very confused when I came back, thinking like, well, he's like this poor African, although he wasn't. That was kind of the story yeah. that I had. And I remember him asking me to send him shoes. Expensive. Well, I didn't. So at first it was like shoes. And then he like, and I showed them to you and you're like, these are expensive shoes. They were. Um, Not just for like an African expensive. Yeah. But these are expensive right. for anybody. Right. They were some sort like, of, ath like some sort of sneaker. Like, an like a, Yeah, something. like an Air yeah. Jordan. But they were very expensive. Yeah. But he also asked you, the people would ask you if you had your own plane. Yes. In the United a, States. And like, big, they, they just didn't, yeah. you know, there was such a divide. Now I th really think with, you know, everybody being having access to the Internet and everything, it's probably maybe even worse for Africans to see what better or worse. The, I mean, they uh, know maybe it'll it makes them a little more realistic maybe. about like, the disparities, but the disparities are real. You, yeah. you hope you hope that they can start, you know, overturning some of these corrupt governments mm. locally. It's very complicated. But to, to tie that to the last episode with Kevin Carter, because I, I wasn't in a famine like he was there, but you, you know, you see pretty rough conditions, um, it, sort of just being paralyzed of like the role of the outsider. And if there is a moral philosophy to lay over that, how you would, how you would begin talking to a teenager who like my, your son, who just like once is a good person and is trying to do well, but frankly, like misguided at that moment, I, I don't know. As a parent, like, how do you, how, how do you, yeah. this is a, a, this is a hard question about like, how do you temper the, the good intentions and the pure hearted intentions of a teenager who, or younger, who just wants to do good. And you got to sort of tell them like, listen, the world's a little complicated and sometimes harms have to be done at all. I don't know if you ever had to do this. This is a lot of what Larissa McCorkin's yeah. book is about. It's like Honestly, philosophical as a maturity. parent, I don't really know that I ever even thought about that, but I think now, you know, I think, you know, there is so much need in the world. You, you can't think about solving a world problem, a world crisis. You just have to pick like one 
thing. Mm. I, I remember when you lived in uh, the lower, the East Village in New York, mm-hmm. and uh, there were a lot of p- homeless people on the street, and there was a, a homeless guy that kind of based himself near you, like a block away, mm-hmm. and every now and then you would give him money or food or whatever, and you said, there's so many homeless people, you just have to pick one. Yeah. And so you had picked this guy. And, and I remember thinking at the time, that was a really good way to kind of deal with the homeless problem in yeah. New York. You couldn't fix it, but you could fix, you could help one person, yeah. you know? And, and so that, that was good. And I remember the first time we went to San Francisco as a say, family, yeah. uh, it was really eye-opening for you. There were so many homeless people, you had not seen that before. I don't remember your 90s. comment, but I remember you were really upset. And I made you when give you saw coins to like yeah, everyone. Yeah, that's right. I was a teenager. That's right. You just kept, you were so upset and you were just, and, and you can't give coins to everybody. Yeah. You, I mean. I remember you being proud of me for expressing that. And you did it, obliged did with I? it. Yeah. And I think you even mentioned that your mom would be really proud of like my good heart or yeah. something. Yeah, you always had a good heart. I, it's a good heart. And then it's like the, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes of that like, this must be a quandary for parents of kids who do this. So Larissa, I, I, you haven't read Larissa's book. You should. It's great because it's about do-gooders. And like I, like I said in that, that last episode, I think in a lot of ways, I, I loved the book because I related. I, I told her I was in danger of being a do-gooder. Yeah. So like she started with this place of admiration of like as young people, a lot of times we have this maybe very simple story of morality of like these people are poor. Give them money. Like, well, yeah. there's nothing more complicated than that. Like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to complicate it? Feed, feed them. Like, give them money. This person is asking for it, and they clearly need it. And you could... So she starts by writing the book from a place of admiration that people who uh. can sustain this for an entire lifetime. Yeah. But that, but, yeah, but by it's the, hard. It's not even that it's hard. It might, it might actually be... The only word I could put to it is sort of philosophically immature, because it's just not so simple. Even who knows the money that we gave or I made you give to those people in San Francisco. Were they using it for drugs? Maybe. Did, we, did someone overdose because of that 25 cents that you gave? That's possible. But the fact that, that it's like nothing is purely clean morally. I think nothing. And being able to um, ex- impart that somehow to a, a well-meaning the danger of being a do-gooder teenager must be difficult. It also goes back to my sort of criticism of religion of being like, this isn't so damn simple, God. <laughs> like, back off. Like, what do you think? And that's kind of the story that I was 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 getting. Tikkun Olam is this thing in Judaism that you hear a lot of, I think it save the world, feed the world, I don't know, heal the world. Heal the world. Heal the world. And so it, it's and, a great... But my que- it's a yeah. great line. The question yeah. for me as the angsty teenager in the room was, how? <laughs> but it's also a... a just a really good value to have to re- to know that you know you but have to think about yeah but you know to to give t- of yourself that I mean I don't know I don't know either <laughs> but that, I think it's you know picking one thing that is means something to yeah. you that you can relate to 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 give. But that that Kevin, you've seen the Kevin Carter photo, the the vulture oh. and the girl, right? And it's yeah. now you've been to Africa. You saw a little bit of it, like when you were going through the towns and stuff uh, between yeah. the safaris. Yes. And um, you, 
maybe you glean like why that photo and Kevin's story haunts me so much of even that very first trip as a teenager being like what am i doing here yeah and how can i help i know you know when i got home from africa the night i got home on a friday night late and the next day i thought you know i can't go to sleep again another Mm. night without giving something to a charity in africa interesting and so i researched something and i picked something that i could relate to and i and i and it it was was great uh, books for africa yeah, books um, for Africa. But like, you, yeah. there, there's just so much need there. Like, you just have to pick something that means something to you, and it just made me feel a little better before I went to sleep the next night. Yeah, <laughs> but it's but it's also not even morally clean either. Either it's like yeah. you just have to do something because yeah, I know, and I don't even yeah. know like if that's a good charity right. and where the money went. I don't know. Like, while I was there, maybe I should have just. Like, I, I don't know, even know how you give money to somebody. I, I did leave brand new hiking boots there with mm-hmm. somebody. I left uh, uh, Croc but sandals but with somebody. Like, like I, I know, but I was just and, like, I, yeah. I was like, yeah, just let me give some something here. Yeah. You know, but it's like, we can't, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a Yeah, the, <laughs> the line between hopeless charity of just because you can't feed every homeless person in new york and you can't give money to everybody in san francisco and you can't feed everyone in africa and then just pure nihilism of like well just trust the system and every it'll all work out in the end it won't but it it won't (laughs) not in africa it won't maybe because it doesn't yeah i don't know but you know it's it's hard this is why to bring the philosophy back into it where like my journey through this entire um show and my my arm wrestling with Coleman and all this stuff about consequentialism just kind of not getting you as far as as people think it 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 is because it, it always plays both sides of every argument books for Africa sounds great I mean sounds like a great idea but then like there's always this argument of like that I that I brought up in the last episode of well, isn't that something the local government should be doing? And are you actually encouraging corruption because now, like the the, yeah. the town, the mayor of the town who's getting the books, who should have been the one who like gave money to the library, just put it in his pocket. Now it's like it's an uh, endless so yeah. consequentialism. There's there's harm and benefit uh, to just about everything. Yeah. yeah. But it but to your point, it's 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 why I like I find consequentialism like to be as I've said before, maybe the the last resort on the moral checklist of like the frameworks that you ought to use. And maybe something like heal the world is a virtue of Judaism. That sounds good as a better starting place, but it, the hard work is defining like what that actually means. Yeah. I don't even know. It. I mean, my I, entire journey. And, yeah. Yeah. But I just think, you know, I'm not that um, philosophical. So I, <laughs> I just w- would always say, you know, find something that means something to you, either give money or give yourself t- time, just do something. If everybody does a little something, it's going to be better for the world, Probably, you know, yeah. but <laughs> it's, it, it could be depressing, you know, if you, you spend too much time thinking about all the needs of Yes. Of people in this world. I mean, Africa, fortunately where I was, people weren't starving. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would have thrown me over the edge because they had nothing, but they weren't starving. Yeah. They had good agriculture there. Yeah, so East at least, Africa. At least they're eating. Yeah. So since I probably won't be your guest again, can I tell one of my favorite stories of when you were a little kid? Uh, yes. Do you know what when it's going to be? No, I have no oh. idea. Well, one time you came home from school. Sometimes you used to 
um, not always be totally truthful. Like, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you were good at like, you know, telling what you. Consequential. Yes. Most, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one time you were telling me something. I remember where you were sitting in the kitchen. It was our, you know, house in on Fontrail, and um, you told me a story, and I didn't believe it. I said, Jay, swear to God. And you looked at me, and your eyes were going like in every direction possible, and I'm, and you're just staring at me. And finally, you said, "Shit, God!" <laughs> to swear to God, <laughs> you literally. swore to God. Well, that was very <laughs> funny. Clearly, it was really funny, and it was so cute and so sweet. And I realized, you know, how kids hear what you say <laughs> differently. We can but, be very literal. Very literal. How but I did love that story. That, that was, you were the cutest kid. Fair okay. enough. Now that was, That's the, everyone it, knows that cute my story. My mother's indulgence. <laughs> my cute okay. story. Back to something real. What? Back to something real. But that was real. At the time. That was real. <laughs> it, back to something real. Uh, it's Thanksgiving. Well, we may as well end this and talk about w- what Thanksgiving means and what you're thankful for, or if there's anything to do about that. I haven't actually thought deeply about the morality of this, but. What are you thankful for? Does that work? Well, you know I'm thankful that you you and Zara came down here for Thanksgiving to be with me. Zara's over there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, that's, of course, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, did you give thanks growing up and stuff like no. around the table? You never did that? No. Oh. You know, for us, it was just about getting together as family, mm-hmm. having um, turkey <laughs> and all the trimmings and uh, my dad it, when I was growing up he owned a chain of of clothing stores and so he worked you know uh, morning till night six days a week stores were closed on Sunday in those days but um, he um, he worked really hard and long hours so whenever he was off um, we were we were just thankful he was off and that we got all got to be together and have a meal together so thanksgiving and christmas oddly we always had a really nice christmas mm. dinner not because it was christmas because it was after weeks of working really hard to because he owned you know clothing stores Busy before christmas yeah. um he would be off finally for Christmas mm. and we would have a nice, almost like a Thanksgiving t- type dinner on Christmas day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just being with family. I mean, I'm thankful every day for the life I live, <laughs> you know, yeah, I bad. feel very lucky for, yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, but I'm, I, I, if I can't be with family on Thanksgiving, I have some wonderful friends and as long as I'm with people I love and mm-hmm. you know, but um, it's really special to have you here. Well, what are you thankful for? Uh, yeah, thankful to be here and thankful. Yeah, thanks is a funny thing. I'm, I'll 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 bring in because I made you read it, Sasha Sagan's book. Which, by the way, I didn't even announce the event. Were was was postponed in November. We're rescheduling it. So anybody yeah. who got a ticket who heard me saying like, "Hang tight, we we got you." Um, she has a wonderful chapter about Thanksgiving at the end, where where as as an atheist, as a non-believer, and and her mom as well said like sometimes it's it's i don't even remember the way she phrased it like it's okay it's okay to be thankful even though if you you don't know who you're giving thanks to yeah and that sort of feels like a, yeah. like just just a thank thanks yeah. to the universe for whatever yeah. random an appreciation of, more of a thankfulness appreciation it's a nice it's a yeah. nice uh mindset to be thankful for what for what you have i guess thankful and grateful i don't know yeah. if there's a different thing but i don't know i actually i don't know if thankful is my 
concept as much as appreciative. And What's the difference? I don't know. I don't There's know. I mean, I'm not thinking. Yeah. Any. I'm not Nobody. thinking. Yeah. No any. one's given this to yeah. you. It's just. It's, it's a luck of the draw, really. To it's all a lot of it. A lot of it. <laughs> it's, it's all luck. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, we talk about moral luck on the show a yeah. lot. and. Um, I don't know. I'm thankful for Zara as well, who's watching and having such a wonderful partner who's supportive of this. And um, and we'll be having a vegan Thanksgiving, not totally entirely to her. Also, uh, you know what? We should also get to that because I started my trip down vegetarianism because you stopped eating mammals when I was young, which may be a very simple answer to you because you love dogs and you were like, I, maybe that felt. Like no, I think it was because no of a, it was actually because I was a physical anthropology major, oh. I think, in college, and you know, just the um, the uh, uh, the whole idea of mammals, like mothers feeding, nursing their young, and it was just too high up on the evolutionary ladder for me to eat mammals anymore other than an occasional hot dog if any of my friends are listening they know i do eat a little hot dog or sausage every now and then but that's really not meat (laughs) um but uh i'm looking forward to our first vegan thanksgiving very much and the fact that you and zara will be cooking it not me (laughs) well i I always i mean the, the line about mammals sometimes i tell people a lot that my mom stopped eating mammals and then i sort of like followed her down that eventually and people sort of laugh but it's I point out that it, why would they laugh? I know well <laughs> well because it feels like an arbitrary place to draw the line but uh, uh, honestly everybody has an arbitrary place I'm like well, yeah. you, you kill mosquitoes right and they're like well yeah I mean at some point we all draw the line somewhere yeah. and I feel like the mammal line is is, is it's a good line it's good, not a terrible line yeah. I went I went lower I went with all sort of sort of conscious uh, creatures and Zara helped me get all the way there um, well consciousness is a yeah. whole other question it's, but yeah yeah I don't think I, I could go all the way there but I I, I do like my um I could give up chicken and fish <laughs> if I had to, but I don't think I could give up eggs and cheese and such. But anyway, if there were, substitu- if there were substitutes that were uh, that you that were just as good, you couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, the cheaper, only tastier, problem and and just as nutritious, if that existed. Yeah, you would get. I think you have no to do a lot more cooking as a vegan. For uh, now, this is true. Yeah. I say this to everyone, and I'm not cook. into that. Well. This is, part, <laughs> this is part of the, the, the moral imperative of, ve- of vegans, veganism. Actually, most moral frameworks, I've come to this a lot of like designers of the world, architects of the world that, that Zara is. And um, a good way to think about like your, your framework in the world is make the moral decision the most attractive one rather than like demand people change yeah. their behavior to some like yeah. thing that's really hard or tastes bad yeah. or whatever. It's like, let's make it more attractive, which I think is underway. Every time I see, uh, you know, a, a beyond sausage at Dunkin' Donuts, it's like, good, good. Like, you know, just make it easier. I don't care if people want to eat Dunkin' Donuts, eat whatever you want. But like, yeah, if there's a, if there's just as good of a thing. So that's like, that's, that's a rule. I think that's a, maybe a lesson that could have been, could be used somehow even to bring it all full circle to a teenager who's confused about Africa or younger about giving money is like design a world where we're making that choice is the most attractive choice is, is a good sort of, um, marching orders for kids i think maybe i don't know or teenagers if somehow figure uh, out what that means that's like that that's i think like the hard work of living figuring out what what exactly that means heal the world how what does heal mean that mm-hmm. was an answer i never got in my jewish upbringing 
It's actually a little bit scolded for asking those kind of questions, which led, which led to some of my resentment. Not in your house. Religion. Not in my house. <laughs> this is true. The, the, the nice thing to bring it back to my Jewish upbringing, that it was, uh, there's, a, there's a space to ask those questions. Um, I just yes. found no good you answers. You didn't like the answers, but it yes. was actually asking the questions is encouraged. It's in, fine. In, in, in conservative and reform Judaism, yeah. encouraged. Yeah. Yeah. That's Actually, true. Orthodox yeah. Judaism, they yeah. asking questions, wrestling with God. That's one of the concepts. Yeah. It's very accepted. So at least there's you that. At pin, least there's that. You just have to pin God and count him out, and then you can start <laughs> your life. Is my <laughs> is my my advice. Well, then I guess we'll sign off with Happy Thanksgiving, Mom and listeners, and I don't know. That's it. <laughs> that was fun.